A bevy of current events on the global stage are continuing to shape the early 2023 outlook for key ag fuel and input markets. What should progressive farmers be watching as the new year looms? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN progressive farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. From the ongoing conflict in Ukraine to winter weather to the moves of key players at the Federal Reserve and OPEC, individual actions are creating a tremendous amount of uncertainty in the global fuels market as what's expected to be a particularly cold winter comes into play. Today, DTN's refined fuels analyst Brian Milney joins us again to update the story on European natural gas demand and how that's likely to affect the global supply and demand picture. He'll also highlight other key issues that are affecting markets for oil and diesel, from the slowing global economy to China's COVID lockdowns and protests. We'll discuss the current price situation and what might be in store for the coming months, taking winter weather, Russian negotiations, and the Mississippi water levels into account. Then we'll talk tactics, as Brian highlights what will be most important to watch as producers determine how to plan for input purchases during what's set to be a particularly uncertain season. We'll talk about weakening global economies, propane supplies, and likely trends for fertilizer markets right after this word from our sponsor, This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next Farm Bill and the Farm Bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the Agriculture Department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can maximize or at least find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. DTN Refined Fuels Analyst Brian Milney joins us today to discuss the latest in key energy markets for agriculture, 
Ryan? We talked a few months ago, and at the time, the big concern was the discussion of natural gas in Europe and what winter weather was going to mean for supplies for the rest of the 2022 kind of winter and then into 2023. Give us kind of an update. Is that still the biggest concern that you have as you look to the market, or are there other kind of creeping issues that you think have taken more center stage? Yeah, that's a great question. And things have improved from the last time we conversed on that front. Europe, they've been able to fill up their storage as much as they possibly could. They're getting near capacity. They're still at risk, of course. And there's going to be some colder than usual temperatures in the northern part, according to our meteorologists in the northern part of Europe. So there are, there are going to be some challenges and we'll see what happens going forward. But it's it's we're in a better situation than we were in the summer. Still a lot of risk out there for European friends. In the United States, natural gas storage filled up a lot quicker than some had thought, and we're in good shape there. That had a lot to do, not just with strong production, but also with the Freeport LNG plant, which there was an explosion there in June, and there was thinking that it would be coming back online in October with full operations in December. Those dates have been pushed back, and, and we haven't seen that facility come online yet. They're dealing with some regulatory issues there before they're allowed to restart. But what that did allow was for more natural gas that would have been exported to stay in the United States. So that helped fill up natural gas storage in the United States. So on both those fronts, improvements from when we last talked, but again, we're just starting to get into the cold weather, but certainly an improved disposition. So there's a couple of other, obviously, big kind of news items playing into the questions around the fields market right now. I want to get into talking specifically about some of the subcategories there, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about Russia in particular, which plays into the weather story, especially over the summer and into the early part of the fall. Every day there was an update about the Russia situation. It feels like that's maybe fallen off a little bit, but give us kind of the lay of the land of where negotiations are right now for Europe and then how that is likely to play out for the rest of the world as we get into the new year. So, well, the Russian offensive has certainly stalled and Russia's in a different position than it was a few months ago. And weather-wise, by the way, they're supposed to, it's cold now and they're expected to get very cold weather this winter. So not good for them. There are negotiations going on right now as we speak with the European Union, also G7's involved about cap for Russian oil prices. So what that means is that buyers of Russian crude oil, G7 that would not be allowed to buy Russian oil if it exceeds a price cap. And right now that discussion is $60 per barrel. If they do, they'll be sanctioned. So that's an issue. And this ties together with a ban on seaborne Russian exports to take effect Monday, December 5th. So that's all coming together right now. The Europeans, also the United States is involved in these discussions. They have eased some of the more more stringent efforts they were looking to do earlier this year because of concerns about energy security and inflation, quite frankly. So there's been some movement. The market right now is not as worried because they think the price cap's going to be high enough to allow enough oil, enough Russian oil to hit the markets. Russia is a huge exporter of crude and oil products. So there was a big concern there. So when we look at it right now, it's the market just has now shrugged it off. They think that there'll be enough oil going out there. And this combined with the slowing economy and the slowing global oil demand has put the market at ease. And this is also reflected when you start looking at your calendar spreads, when you're looking at your futures contracts going forward. The extreme backwardation that we saw at the start of the Russian war 
has evaporated. In fact, we had the January Brent contract expire November 30th in a slight contango. So we, so this is all this evidence of the market not worrying as much about the lost Russian supply. That's on the oil side. The gas side, there is still concern that some of the natural gas that is being shipped by pipeline from Russia into Europe could be turned off during the winter. So there is still concern about that. And to mention that over the past few weeks, Russia has sent numerous missiles into Ukraine, bombing energy infrastructure, really targeting that. So there is concern about that, at least for the Ukraine area and some of the neighboring countries going into the winter. So, so we still got an interesting situation happening, a little dangerous situation. But but again, it's not as bad as it was in the early days of the after the Russian invasion. I want to go on and talk a little bit about that. The Russian invasion of Ukraine started in February of this year, and I think there was a sense that it could be a very short conflict, that things could get back to normal relatively quickly. That's not turned out to be the case. I'm curious as you look at markets, especially maybe natural gas markets and, you know, how much fertilizer and raw fuels have come out of Ukraine and Belarus. Are we potentially looking at kind of a reorganization or a longer term reshuffling of those markets as we as this kind of like lingers on for maybe longer than people expected? I feel like there was a sense of wait and see for a while, but does it seem like the time has come to think about more total reorganization of how this market works? Yeah, we're actually seeing that that happen now in Europe. Just recently, Germany has an LNG facility, a floating LNG facility that, they, that they're uh, going to put into operation. This has been a big turnaround, mainly for Europe, where there are some other proposed pipelines. We'll see what gets done. But certainly the LNG, liquefied natural gas, import facilities in Europe have been propping up Germany, of course, is so dependent on cheap Russian natural gas, which also fueled their industrial sector. They've had to do a, a major rethink on that. We do have uh, various European countries also working with each other to, to grant access to certain pipelines. And so you are seeing an absolute rethink of, of, of the energy flow. Russia going forward, it's not going to have as much say into the European market. Um, at all anymore. And, and they're repivoting more towards Eurasian economies, namely China, and also to India. So yes, yeah, so you, you have that. As far as the United States, the, the since we have so much oil and gas, we are a provider. Of course, we've been building out LNG export facilities for a while. There's still some more on the board. We'll probably reach a point where there's a little bit too many. We'll see. So the United States has already been a global supplier, but firming up that, that stance. We've seen over a year ago, you were seeing the majority of your LNG exports going to really South Korea, Japan, to your Asian countries. And right now, the European buyers are outbidding them, and you're seeing them visit our top customers. And you've seen that month after month. Yeah, so there's there definitely have been some changes in the energy flow. We've seen this also w with oil. Some of this was already structurally in the works before the Ukrainian invasion, but you are seeing some of your Middle Eastern countries, namely Saudi Arabia, moving more, trying to get more supply over to Asian countries like in, in India. And the U.S. doesn't really see, receive too much oil anymore from Saudi Arabia. So there are some changes like that. Early next year, Nigeria, which is an OPEC member in North Africa, they are expected to bring into service a large refinery. It's been talked about for years, and there's still some questions like, are they going to get that going? But if that gets going, and it looks more likely now than it has in the past, that we could start seeing also Nigeria shipping more oil products or gasoline and diesel to Europe. So there's been a number of changes. There's been other refineries that are coming online in the Middle East, but they're more pointed towards supplying Asian countries. Meanwhile, in the U.S., we're seeing less refining capacity. So there's been some adjustments.
let's switch gears, talk a little bit about demand. You mentioned the kind of weakening global demand, I think, with rising interest rates at the Fed and months and months at this point of talking about the potential of a recession. It feels like it's it's kind of here. We're in the mix already, potentially. Yeah. Talk a little bit about kind of the weakening global economy and what that is meaning for fuel demand and then fuel prices right now. Yeah, that's been part of the story for November, and we'll see how it plays out going forward. But it's back in, in October, you had OPEC, OPEC Plus announced a production cut that began in November. And we'll see they do meet on December 4th. There are no expectations that they're going to change, make a change to the production rate. But slowing global demand, and this was expected, and we certainly had the, uh, the pandemic rush that with, with demand just surging for a while. So you are expected to slow down, but now with inflation pressures and central banks in the United States and elsewhere raising interest rates, it certainly is going to hurt the growth, which is the whole design of raising interest rates to, to slow demand to get prices under control. China has been a big story in this because as the world's number one oil importer, they've had these draconian lockdowns. They had a, some dreadful ones in the April-May period in the Shanghai area. And, that, and then, of course, they maintained some various forms of lockdowns. And they were there was thinking that they were going to ease some of those lockdowns. And they, some provinces did, but then they saw a jump in some COVID cases. And they're clamping back down. They have what they call the zero COVID policy and just literally locks people in. I mean, Literally, they got bolted into their apartments. And we also saw some protests earlier with people protesting that. But what it has done is it's just, it has really impaired the economic growth of China. The world was looking for China to continue to grow. And you're just seeing a real major slowdown. And that has hurt the world as well, the world's global economic outlook, as well as the higher interest rates. So we'll see. Talk now is just throw a dart at the board. We're going to have a recession. It's going to be mild. It's going to be strong. Big one. We're not really sure yet. In the United States, that is. Globally, some countries will certainly will, will, will miss the global recession. I, I still think we're going to have one. But we've seen demand come down. We've seen a slowing of demand. And there's some there are some mix, mixed points on this because we've seen some pretty steep drawdowns in, in, in U.S. commercial crude reserves, which suggest stronger demand. But when you start looking at it, gasoline demand has trailed off from really the stronger rate that we saw in 2021. And it's expected to be kind of flat into a little bit softer next year. And diesel demand has been coming off in the United States. We still have very low supplies, especially along the East Coast of diesel. So that's holding prices up. But we've seen with the first of the high prices, the inflation, really affecting interest-sensitive sectors such as construction and manufacturing. So we've seen actually the manufacturing activity in the United States is contr was contracted in November. Mentioned the Chicago area contracted for three months in a row, and in November it was really low, the lowest if you strip out the pandemic shock. You got to go back to the 2008, 2009 global crisis. That's how weak manufacturing is in the Chicago area. And we're seeing some areas where, you know, where diesel supplies were pretty low, like in the Midwest, you're seeing them build up again. It's really, it's the East Coast. And even the East Coast, we've seen modest improvements. They're not out of the woods yet. But I just, I bring that back because when you start seeing with this tightness, some limited supply for products, this is oil products, your gasoline, your diesel, because of the less refining capacity, when you start seeing builds in these, these inventory levels, it's another indicator not just for the demand statistics, but also it's showing you they're catching up on the market. And it's not so much some of these producers and refiners have been producing pretty strong for months now, but it's the demand side that's coming under pressure. We'll need to see what goes on. There is some modest growth 
globally for oil demand expected in 2023, but it's some of your smaller emerging economies that are expected to drive some of that, some of that growth. So it's really come off from the strong pace we've seen. And we just, we have to wait. We're, and, we, and we get mixed signals. So the first half of the year, the United States was technically in a recession. In the third quarter, this recent uh, November 30th, you had the Bureau of Economic Analysis come out and indicate third quarter growth was 2.9%. But even when you start looking at some of these nowcast models, um, that are looking at your current fourth quarter growth. Before Thanksgiving, they were saying for a plus 4% growth rate for the fourth quarter, but that's come down since Thanksgiving to now it's a 2.8% is what they're talking about. So we are starting to see that slowdown. It's such a curious economy. We had the jobs report come out today, December 2nd, and a surprise to the upside, as did wage growth. And that was concerning. And you saw the US dollar, which is coming off, thinking that because the Federal Reserve is expected to slow down the size of the rate hikes going forward. And uh, they just had a speech on, on Wednesday, the, the, the chairman, Jerome Powell, kind of telegraphing this, we're going to slow down as soon as December, <laughs> December. And so you had the dollar coming under pressure. You had this jobs report come out today and then boom, dollar shot higher again. So that the stronger dollar certainly hurts U.S. exports, but it hurts a lot of other countries that are pegged to the dollar. It hurts... Uh, oil importing countries, and it's coming together. It's just hard to see when we're going to see all this gel and, and just how deep a recession will we get or will it be just a mild one in the United States? Globally, yeah, some countries are going to hurt a lot more. Europe's going to certainly hurt a lot more because of the destruction to their energy infrastructure caused by the, uh, the Russian invasion. And so in the United Kingdom, even more so because of the Brexit. So it's quite, it's quite a tricky environment to really peg. It's shifting around and you're trying to read these tea leaves to get an idea. And then a data point comes up, it just spills everything. All, just just messes it all up, I, for lack of a very creative word there. But it's hard to see how we're going to see something change with these higher rates. Because when you get these reports, as we just mentioned, a jobs report, the wage growth, that's the opposite of what the Fed's looking to do, which means right now the federal funds rate is at 3.7%, 3.75 to 4% target range. Expectations are for a half a point rate increase in the, the December meeting, which would be a slowdown from the 75 basis points they've been increasing for the past four meetings. The thinking is that you can get to a 5 percent or five 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 point two five percent federal funds rate at the end of the first first quarter something like that and um we'll see if that but that's that, that should certainly restrain growth right now you have some fed presidents you know, there's a number of them talking but some saying we just have got to the point of restricting growth with the interest rates so we'll see it doesn't seem like the damage has some industries for sure are getting hurt. I should be careful. I don't want to painting a broad brush. Certainly companies that need to or industries that are heavily on borrowing or things of that are seeing a big impact. And then, like I said, already construction jobs are falling, but services are the services are still strong. We'll see how this pans out. Is this when we get past the holidays, the services in the industry starts slowing down as well? What do we see? Do we start seeing an improvement? Or does the Fed have to take a bigger hammer to the economy through the interest rates? So that's kind of it's an ongoing question here i want to dig in a little bit more on those diesel prices as you look ahead and diesel stocks i think after how long 
there was a shortage or a significant shortage in the U.S. I think good news, but we are seeing both record low levels on the Mississippi right now. We're seeing potentially not anymore, but we are seeing the threat of a rail strike. I'm curious when you see those kind of news items, are you thinking, man, that's going to cause a rapid shift towards more trucks on the road as shipping maybe gets disrupted, especially in December? So talk a little bit about how you're thinking about kind of these local domestic potential disruptions to the supply chain and what that could mean in terms of unexpected shifts in demand on the fuel side. Yes, for sure. The rail strike that was just averted by legislation, that would have really been problematic. And boy, yeah, you would certainly see a big shift to vehicles. You know, the railroads certainly use diesel as well, but it would have been a big shift to trucks, but trucks wouldn't be able to handle all that capacity. All there's just some things they wouldn't be able to move, but it would you would have seen a big push higher in, in, in truck movements. And they have, they've actually come down. Now the strikes pass, you're looking at truck movements. There was really, for if you recall, about a year and a half ago that we were talking about shortage of drivers, shortage of capacity, and some really re- record high prices being paid for used trucks, your, your big semis and all that. The trucking industry has caught up because there's this much more capacity, so they're able to handle a greater volume. But then, you know, of course, this is always the curse of commodities. So you get to that point where you have this capacity, and now the demand has slowed. There is, if you recall, there's all those ships anchored off the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, and that's clear. They're not waiting. There, there was a shift to more ships coming to the east side, close to the Nerstal, a little bit of backlog now because of that rush. So you're not seeing the backlog at the ports and partly because of the Chinese factories aren't churning out as much, partly because a lot of retailers overordered and they have a lot of inventory. And that was a big thing for Thanksgiving Day holiday. A lot of stores supposedly offering discounts to move out some of that inventory. But what that means is there's less need to move as much inventory from warehouses to stores and assets. The trucking demand has eased. Um, you're seeing spot trace, prices in, for moving the truckloads have come down. Eventually, your longer-term rates are going to come down. And you've had Federal Express, which is always a good bellwether on these things. They're getting ready to start looking at furloughs for truckers. So that so it's a really it's slowing down. That's just another indication of this economic slowdown we're seeing from that surge that we've had right from the pandemic and an indication of the effects of the higher interest rates. So we're looking at that. That's another factor. We're looking at the middle parts of the country where they have a little more diesel now, a little bit of a slowdown in the trucking side of it, and especially manufacturing, less construction activity. All this has crimped a diesel demand. And you're starting to see, we've seen supply build. We've seen through your government statistics, through the Energy Information Administration, we've seen distillates, which is primarily diesel fuel supply to the market has fallen for four weeks consecutively. And the amount of forward supply has increased. It had fallen, oh, geez, I could do it was a 14-year low or something like that. It's growing again. Yeah, so we'll see. And like I said, it's really the East Coast that is still problematic. And that has to do a lot with structural issues, lost refining capacity. Your refiners in your Gulf Coast area are trying to ship as much product as they can to the East Coast. And the pipelines are, there's more shipper demand, more demand to move stuff in the pipeline than pipeline capacity. And, and the ships that you're allowed to do it, these Jones Act vessels, they're all booked up. So they're moving as much product as they can, but that's 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 a vulnerability right there in the East Coast. Not to mention, we used to get a little bit of supply, some imports from Europe, and UCS get some Russian supplies as well, and that's way down as well. So I mean, the East Coast is really your problem area. But uh, yeah, I, I know it was uh, at a in California at a conference and meeting some people who are suppliers in the Midwest are like, hey, when you go home, can you, you know, take a few barrels of diesel with you? Because you just can't get it to the market. So it's it's improving. You haven't said that. You just have to be careful that you're, you have a refinery 
there's a problem. There's always these issues with commodities that you, you, everything's starting to improve, but something can turn around and bite you. So you got to be careful. I'm getting too optimistic. I want to circle back to the one other factor that seems to be, especially on the liquid fuels side, the out for oil and gas, obviously OPEC a big decision maker in this space. You mentioned it already a couple times, but talk to us about as you look to the next couple months, what are you expecting to see from OPEC as they try to navigate all of these many unknowns? Yes. Yeah, OPEC, in particular Saudi Arabia, the de facto leader of OPEC because of their size of their production, they're in a curious moment in their history. OPEC, and they're joined by 10 other countries with Russia. They reaffirmed, this is why you call it OPEC Plus now, we got 23 nations, oil producers together, 13 OPEC and the 10 non-OPEC joined and they reaffirmed their commitment going for 2023, which is interesting. And some of the United States were not too pleased with that, thinking it gave aid and support to Russia. Saudi Arabia simply looks at it as just business and we need to control and we need to be in partners with other oil producers to help balance the market. They keep on talking about balancing the market. There was a bit of a row in October when they announced that OPEC Plus announced a 2 million barrel, barrel per day production cut, thinking that it was designed as a political wedge right ahead of the midterms. OPEC said, no, it's, that's not why we did it. They were looking at slowing demand. Namely, they were looking at where demand has slowed. The estimates vary, but oil demand in China has seen down by about a million barrels per day for a while. And so they're looking at China quite nervously as far as how long will these COVID policies go on. And then you had these protests recently that while there are protests in China, these protests were unique and different and um, and they're likely just get squashed, unfortunately, but it does raise some concerns in looking at demand going forward. So you have those issues. Now, Saudi, you know, OPEC plus, it's been naming several OPEC countries have not been able to produce as much as they said on paper, like they've agreed. So that was partly the story for why oil prices were strong in, in addition to Russia. Um, but now when you look at it, Saudi Arabia, they're looking at the potential of the slowing demand side of it, and they're trying to navigate what do these price caps mean on Russian oil by G7? How does it affect them? So it's a curious position that they're in. You also have within OPEC, you have a country called the United Arab Emirates that wants to expand their production. They've been investing to produce more oil, and they want to produce more. So there is a little bit of a tension between these two countries within OPEC as far as how to go forward. And it's a challenge for them because on the one hand, if you pull back your production and it holds a stronger price, you could also lose market share in the process. So you're losing revenue, you could lose market share. So they're really trying to navigate that going forward. And it's a curious thing. I think they're going to play this very close to the chest. You get these rumors and sometimes they're done purposely, almost like test balloons to see how the market behaves. But at one point they were talking about potentially a modest increase in production. Then they were talking about a modest decrease in production. Not really sure. Sure. What I think what you're going to see is Saudi Arabia, the country really with the only extra spare capacity, they're going to try to protect uh, a certain price. They're going to probably try to hold your Brent crude, your international crude above $80 per barrel. We are trading above that um, now or like $87. They're going to try to maintain that. And if we do start seeing the demand come off, especially if it comes off, if we do see a recession, it's a little deeper than some are anticipating. We see demand pull back even more than some anticipated. You could see them making more cuts to try to hold the price up. And it's going to be hard 
to really get around that situation because like I said, there's not too many other countries that can step in. And now with the Russian oil is going to be on the decline going forward because of the mess they made with Europe. And they, they're losing some of these customers forever. Oil's global. They'll get there. There'll be Russian oil and there could also be a softening or already seeing softening. But there, there's been a change of attitude. And the problem that Russia will have too, which actually strengthens the Saudi's hands, is that some of their oil they produce are in some really harsh conditions. And if they don't maintain production flows from there, they could lose those fields. So they're dealing with a situation where Russia oil may very well have peaked. We'll see. So that side, the Saudis has some pricing power. But then you have to deal with the United Arab Emirates that wants to expand production. That should that could go against the idea of supporting price. So it's very complicated. I know it may be complicated there. I didn't mean to, but it is. And then when you take a look at the United States, where we've been releasing oil from our emergency reserves called the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, that's expected to stop. It should stop this month. There were some other sales that were going to take place over the next few years that literally this week, the Department of Energy is saying, hey, we want to scratch those. These are congressional sales that were done before the Russian invasion to bring in some revenue to help modernize the plan for budget balancing and stuff like that. They're looking to pull back on that, but it, it does show we have a cartel out there. It does show that they could be upended by the United States by, by using this SPR as a factor. So it's just, it's a very complicated picture, right, for the Saudis. So we'll see going forward. And they just bring that, but you know, OPEC members typically fall in line with the Saudis, UAA sometimes not. And when you look broader, Nigeria, which is underproduced greatly for its uh, quotas because of sabotage and fighting and pipelines being blown up. They've been improving and, and it looks like we're going to see them produce more, get closer to their quotas, so a higher production rate. We'll see. Libya is another country to watch, um, easy oil to produce and to get exported. I mean, a good quality goes a lot, it goes to Europe, but there's there struggles over who's going to leave the country there. And when they get fighting, you have these wars and they shut down plants, shut down pipelines, they could always surprise to the upside as well. Um, or <laughs> you could just see the oil just shrink. But the one thing that does slow their hand as far as not producing the oil too much is because both sides want the money. So so it's tricky. And those are probably your 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 larger countries. Of course, we have Iran. They're having their own struggles, their own protests. They've been under sanctions. I'm not really sure how they've still been selling oil. We'll see what goes forward there. As far as a nuclear deal getting done, that is why the U.S. has sanctioned them. That's It's hard to see that coming to pass, considering they're getting pretty close to already having a nuclear weapon capacity. And then with these protests that have been going on there since September, which is the biggest threat to the Islamic regime there really since its creation. So you have that component. And we also had the Thanksgiving Day, it was a surprise that it's on Thanksgiving Day, of opening, allowing Venezuela, taking sanctions off of Venezuela, allowing where there's some conditions and there's still some... I guess paperwork to be filed, we could call it that, to allow Venezuelan oil to come back on the mark, another OPEC country, which has been under sanctions uh, for a while. Chevron's going to lead that effort where they have some assets there and promise for free elections. I Just call me a skeptic. But anyway, but th that industry has been battered. So you're not going to see a lot of oil coming from them for a while. It's going to take a while. The, the industry has just been decimated because of a terrible lack of maintenance, just terrible activity happening there. It's just, it's ridiculous. But anyway, the sanctions are going to be lifted off of Venezuela. So I think, think that's pretty much the, the biggies in the OPEC side of it. I wonder if we can pivot in the last few minutes and talk. As you look forward, particularly for the ag sector, I think it's wintertime. Propane is probably of a particular concern, but also I think 
maybe the most significant concern is just farmers wondering, especially around, I think, natural gas and how that might affect fertilizer prices going into 2023 and a sense of how much should I be thinking about storing and stocking? Should I be thinking about maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's some benefit to waiting? Talk about the kind of agriculturally specific trends that you're watching and whether you think that there might be some changes in the early part of next year, whether you think we're pretty much lying in the bed we've made at this point. Well, propane has been a good story for farmers. Propane supply has been growing almost consistently week to week. So we're at two-year high. So that's good. You're seeing higher production and this has to do a lot with you know, that we've seen more natural gas liquid facilities or where, where they're taking natural gas and breaking up these compounds. And so you're seeing a steady increase in, in propane uh, production growth. And that has helped with the uh, propane inventory and has kept a lid on propane prices. Of course, propane prices are tied to your West Texas Intermediate contract. It, it trades in a percentage, if you will. So that, that percentage is certainly down from the tightness of it. There's also some other plants that, that have been come into service along the Gulf Coast that, that make these other products that that certain industries use. And instead of using propane, they're using this other product. So that's helped. So for propane, that's a good story for farmers. They should be plentiful and prices are capped. They're not spiking. So that's the good story. Natural gas has been curious. We're bouncing. It's moving around into the six, seven dollar area. We're off the peaks, um, and we're seeing strong natural gas production. When you're going into the winter, obviously you're, you're in your peak period. You're in backwardation right now through the May contract. So, May, so we're trading January in the futures market. So January contracts is higher than all your contracts through to May before you start seeing an increase. Obviously, the backwardation market, if it's uh, because it's a seasonally backwardated, may not be the best time to buy your natural gas or to lock in on that unless you're looking at outer months. Of course, you need to be cautious when we start getting to the summer months because natural gas is used um, heavily in power production, including you know, for air conditioning demand and stuff like that. That's why you know, the backwardation kind of ends in May. So you have to watch those seasonal factors. We mentioned earlier where the we have the LNG, LNG facility that's not shipping anything because it's waiting on regulatories, the regulatory bodies to give it the permission to do so after an accident. When that starts coming back online, that's going to draw more demand, you know, pull more supply from domestic and ship it out. I think you're going to start seeing natural price, price, gas prices going higher. We talked earlier about the European situation where they were able to fill the storage. And you literally had a situation though that there were so many LNG tankers going to Europe that they were actually waiting to be offloaded because the system could only handle so much. And that actually even in, in this crazy environment actually had electricity prices briefly go negative in some of these European countries, which is, it's a whole, the way the system mechanisms work. But there was just so much natural gas that they had to push it through. So I think partly when I'm looking at prices, there is certainly the risk that we could certainly see natural gas move much higher than where we're at right now as this Freeport LNG facility Export facility comes back online. The DTN weather forecasters are seeing some colder conditions through much of the United States and their most recent 30 to 90 day outlook. So you have that dynamic. And like I was mentioning, Europe, with all those LNG tankers, they're eventually they're not going to be there. You had a mild start to Europe, which was, which was a blessing for these European countries. But if it's cold in Europe and it's also cold in the United States at the same time, they are going to start consuming those LNG tankers. And you're just going to keep on seeing a steady flow of LNG move out. And so that's going to be strong export demand. And then domestically, we'll, we'll use more. So that's where you're at. And the one side, you know, the manufacturing slowdown, 
does ease demand to an extent for some of your natural gas companies like your aluminum smelters and things of that nature. But no, I do think, boy, it's tricky. And I'm just trying to give an outlook on that. But it's just, I, I think the risk of is for more, I'm looking at the price. I think the risk is for more upside in natural gas prices during the wintertime. I think there's that risk. So I know I'm hemming and hawing on that because it's a little, there's a lot of variables still on that. Yeah, but I think that's what you're looking. I think the risk is to the upside and we'll see where the economy is in a few months. There's, it's just, we're in a very interesting environment and we're seeing energy transitions occur. We talked briefly, you know, gasoline demand is flatlining, going a little bit lower. We recently just had a proposal for increased renewable volumes of ethanol to be used. So we see that going on. There's actually legislation proposed in the Senate that would allow for E15 during the summer months. So we are seeing these transitions and we'll see, I actually think that legislation has legs. I think it'll get done, maybe not in the lame duck session. So we are seeing some dramatic shifts or pretty dramatic. We've been talking about it, but now they're actually starting to happen. It's very curious when you're going through change, right? So it's something to watch for. I think keep an eye on the weather for sure, because that affects obviously, you know, how much natural gas we pull. The North New England states are worried because they use a lot of heating oil for their space heating needs. So that's a concern there. If you're going to see a hot summer, you know, you're going to see stronger natural gas demand as well. So those are the things we're looking at. And then meanwhile, you have you know, shrinking refining capacity is actually going to be a refinery in Houston. It's going to shut down in, in January. So you have less capacity. So we actually have oil, but we have a less capacity rather to process it. So that's a big part of the reason why you saw these really strong high prices for gasoline and diesel over the summer months. And those are the things I'd look at. I Stay on top of news, watch the regulatory activity. Those are all the things that I think you you really have to pay mind to, and then and that'll help your, your buying decisions and chart the stuff out and really look at the history and all that. But it's a very challenging period. You can read Brian's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things refined fuels at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Brian Milney. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.